Welcome back to another episode of the Bigger Than Me podcast. Here is your host, Aaron. It is the new year. I am so excited to be kicking this episode off all about how we can improve ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, how we can grow as individuals and behave in a way that is bigger than ourselves. My guest today is the great Amon Zahabi. Amon Zahabi, it is such a pleasure to sit back down with you. It has been so long since we talked. Would you mind just briefly reintroducing yourself for people who might not be acquainted with your work? Yeah, so I'm Amon Zahabi. I'm a professional fighter. I fight in the UFC. I've had a lot of a lifetime experience of uh, training in martial arts. And currently, I'm on a three-fight winning streak with the UFC. Last we spoke, you were heading into UFC Vancouver, and I was so excited. I got to sit there live and watch you perform, which was such an honor. Would you mind taking us back, going into that fight, and how you were feeling? Well, uh, leading up to the fight, uh, given my opponent's uh, history, like his, he has like 33 fights or like 32 fights when he was coming into that fight, <clears throat> he goes the distance a lot, and he's a hard-nosed fighter, and he has a really good uh, right hand. So for the two months leading up, my brother was really getting me ready for war. Like it's gonna, he told me it's gonna be fifteen minutes of hell. So I prepared myself mentally for that. Like uh, had the guys torturing me in sparring and in wrestling and in training and jiu-jitsu. And I, w- I went to like this uh, the Montreal Wrestling Club, which like it's home to like a lot of the national wrestlers uh, for Canada. So they're throwing me around the room because I heard in one of the fights when Eric Lang was uh, fighting, one of the commentators said that his dad was like this really good wrestler. So I was like, okay, maybe he has that in his mind to take me down because you know not too many people have seen me on the ground. So I was like, okay, I'm going to prepare for that as well. So just getting my whole game ready. And then luckily he finished in a minute. So I was really happy. <laughs> so, you know, you prepare for the worst and you hope for the best. And this time the best happened for me. That's one area I feel like we don't hear a lot about is the process of trying to figure out what your opponent is preparing for and how they want the fight to go and how you want the fight to go. How much time is dedicated to trying to figure out what their game plan might be and preparing for contingencies? You know, it's, it's interesting because like I always plan for my opponents uh, and I try to stick to that plan like hardcore, like in my mind to like to not deviate from what I'm supposed to do. And then... Uh, now, like my last three fights, I really realized that other guys are game planning for me just as much as I want to game plan for them. So I have to be careful and not be too stuck on my game plan because if I come expecting them to do something and they they change it, I have to be have the flexibility of mind to adapt to the situation. So uh, I really didn't expect every Kilang to throw low kicks because. I thought he'd be worried about me taking him down because I'm black belt in jiu-jitsu. So I was like, there's no way he's going to kick my leg. He's going to wait to hit me with the right hand. Like, you've seen me get knocked out in the past. And he has a really good counter right hand. And I thought that was his best way to win was to counter me with his biggest punch. And uh, instead, he came out kicking. So, you know, I just had to adapt on the, in the moment. And I hit him with a nice counter. So I was really happy, you know, because, you know, there's that Mayweather is really famous for saying this. He says, uh, true check. Champions adapt. They can adapt to anything, you know? So, like, I'm really just trying to adapt in my fights as much as possible. Yeah, so you have all of that groundwork, and then you're going in, and you're kind of open. You have your kind of what you want to have happen, but you're open to what's going to happen, and it ends up sometimes working out way better. You're not in a three-round, long, 15-minute war. You're in a very quick fight. What was the feelings afterwards? Oh, incredible. Incredible feelings. Uh, I was super, super happy because there is a relief in the sense that when you don't take the damage, 
And I had prepared myself to be ready for lots of damage after this fight. You know, they call him the Mongolian murderer. And you watch his fights, they get they get very intense. You know, he doesn't usually go down. Uh, he, he marks guys up. He hurts them. He gets hurt. Like, he has, it's like a barn burner type fight. So I prepared myself mentally to, to like, end up in the hospital, you know, in that night, you know, like with cuts or something. something. I, th- I thought something was going to happen. And then, like, when I dropped him, I put my hands up like in my like the when he, the way I saw him fall, I knew he was done. But the referee didn't come in, so I had to jump on him. But first, you get a wave of relief that there's no damage, and then you get the the joy of winning. And then it was really cool because like when Frost came out and he gave me that hug in the in the cage, he told me if you would have let him up, I would have slapped you. I said yes, I know. I finished the job. I finished. I got on top of him and I finished. It's happened before, you know. When guys they raise their hands, they think the guy's done. The guy gets up, fight continues. Yeah. Would have been very embarrassing. Frost would have beaten me. <laughs> and then knowing that you were also a part of a night where all the Canadians won, and you got to continue to see the night go on and the Canadians take over and show out on that night, what was that experience like to be a part of a team doing that? A Canadians doing that. Honestly, it was an honor because I feel like it's going to be a historical moment because it was the first time on a UFC card all the Canadians won. You know, there's usually one loses, maybe two, who knows. But it's a really historical moment for Canadians. And I feel like it really helped uh, bring more fans into it from Canada because, like, MMA was dying out in Canada a little bit. And I feel like it gave us a resurgence. And now, like, one of the UFC staff members were saying how they might come to Canada two to four times a year in 2024 going forward so i feel like that night all six of us really played a big hand in that so i'm happy to be part of that and do you have a close relationship with the other fighters going into that night are you all on the same page or what was that process because we look at it from our perspective and we see all the canadians win it seems like you're all on the same team yeah well internationally for sure we're all on the same team and like some of those guys i've trained with before they've come to the gym to come at tricep before and some of them i hadn't met i met them that night but it was really cool to like uh, go to the hotel and see them after because you know like the ufc now since covid the policy is you can, there's no green room so they, they they ask you to leave after the fight and so when i was going back to the hotel after each fight the canadians were coming back and we got to take some pictures together and with the fans and holding up canadian flags so like that was cool the very nice moments we got to share what is the process afterwards? I just started a new job and immediately my brain starts going like, where do I want to go from here? What do I want to do next? How do I want to get there? What are the next big step ups where I can continue on my career, but also take care of the family? What is your process? Once you get that win, what are you thinking of? Well, I'm excited to get another fight and I'm excited to just keep the ball rolling, you know? And uh, it was weird. Like for me, I had a moment in training camp where I had like this mental hurdle <clears throat> where I was like, oh man, I want two in a row already maybe i won't win three in a row that's it's like a big ask to win three in a row in the ufc and i was having a hard time dealing with that and i brought it up to Faras. i remember i'm like Faras, i'm like man i'm like i'm like you think i can win three in a row he's like, what are you talking about it has nothing to do with any of the last two fights each fight is it is its own there's no such thing there's no curses there's no you run out of luck there's none of that he's like you train your best you do your best whether you win or lose it doesn't matter to us and just go out there and do your best you know she so just reminded me to just not care about those things. Like, don't worry about the statistics. You know, a lot of times statistics, they get it wrong, right? It's good to look back and you can make the statistics stay whatever you want, but you, you shouldn't let it affect your uh, your mentality going in. 
Actually, uh, one of my favorite rappers, Big Sean, has a line, and he was like, "I was trusting statistics more than I trusted me." Talking about like the the rates of black incarceration and the challenges they yeah. face, and rather than trusting your own ability to grow and develop and and succeed. Yeah, because you hear about stats all the time, especially like from like the commentators and the analysts and the the YouTube guys and all this stuff. They're like, "Yeah, this guy's made this many stats, this many punches per second, so they're ah, they're this and blah blah." blah. But in the end, man. You don't know what's going to happen in there until it happens, you know. And there are so many ways to win in MMA and so many ways to lose that, uh, you know, it's uh, you have to go out there and just be yourself and do it, and the outcome will be what it is. Are you going to be at UFC Toronto? I don't know yet. Uh, I'm definitely, I haven't been on the card yet. Like, I didn't get a fight or anything yet. But uh, Arnold Allen is uh, getting ready to fight on the card. And maybe I'll go to show him some support. If I don't know if, I'm gonna be, if he might ask me to be in his corner or not. I don't know. Or if not, I might just come and watch the show like as a fan. How does it feel to have it right in your backyard now, traveling obviously across the country to come to Vancouver? Oh, it's great. That's one of the reasons why I want, I want to kind of fight on the card because like for the people from Montreal, it's super easy to get there. Like you can leave Saturday morning and come back Sunday. It's like a one night trip, one night hotel stay. Whereas Vancouver, it's much further cost plane tickets, the hotels are more expensive and all those things. So I was looking forward to trying to get on the card so that more friends and family can come live. But like now, instead of like watching me, I guess we'll all go and we'll all support Arnold for sure. That's fantastic. And what else has been going on in the past couple of months uh, since we spoke last? Anything new? Well, I took the kids to Florida, actually, my wife and kids. My wife had like a work conference out there. So we decided to go and uh, use it to go to Disney World. So I ended up taking my kids there. I had a beautiful day. Uh, we went there for one day, 15 hours. Let me tell you, 8.30 in the morning to 11.30 at night. Oh I'm God. done. I never got to go back. <laughs> we did everything we could. That's fantastic. You got to be exhausted yeah. after that, right? Yeah, it was exhausting, but it was great. You know, my kids were soldiers that that day. They're five years old, both of them, right? They're twins and no stroller needed. They walked all day. They're happy. They ate well. They didn't give me a hard time. So I'm really happy with them. Yeah, that, you should be. Since we last spoke, I talked to your twin, Ariel Hawani, and that yeah. was such a trip. Yeah, tell me, what was that? That's a big fish, man. It was a huge fish. Uh, so I listen to the show all the time and enjoy getting yeah. his takes on things. I try and develop, and I've learned a lot through his style of interviewing, how he approaches it, and I kind of study what he does because I think he's really good at interviewing people, asking good questions, and being a good journalist. And so he has the Q&As at the end of his Wednesday episodes, and I'd put okay. in the odd question for him and try and make sure it's thoughtful, not ask every week. And over time, he started to notice on Twitter, I'd comment on some of his stuff and then i wow, just kind of awesome. out and was like hey like i get you're you're busy you're you're uh being a host of shows of uh different events and stuff and so i get you might not have the time but it would be an honor uh to try and hone my skills and ask you questions about how you interview people and he was like let's run it and so a few times of trying to go back and forth find times and he texted me on the day of and was like hey could you do it at 12 o'clock today and it was like in 48 minutes so i had to message him <laughs> and go hey like are we able to run this like like, I haven't prepared, but like, I'd like to do this interview. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity, might not get it again. And uh, we ended up making it work. That's amazing, man. Yeah, yeah that's really, really cool. Especially that you've, you stayed so persistent and he noticed, man, that's great that he gave you a great time, a chance to shine, you know, to really get somebody that's like big in our industry. 
it speaks to the fact that like people are of good character. I know he gets a lot of flack from different fighters or from different individuals within the UFC or different promotions, but it shows that like when it comes down to it, giving me the opportunity, I'm not some big name. He's not doing it because he's going to get 10 million followers on Twitter or something. He's doing it to show support and show love for the next generation of potential interviewers. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that like, you're not going to be liked by everyone. Uh, And if you accept that, you can always be who you are. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, I'm sure if Ariel rubs some people the wrong way, that's okay. I mean, that's life, man. I probably rub a lot of people the wrong way too. And, but I'm sure a lot of people, he has a huge fan base, you know? So he must be doing something right to get that big of a fan base. And, you know, when it comes to the fighters, like I don't follow the drama that he has with a lot of fighters, but a lot of fighters seem to like him as well. You know, so sometimes it's a two-way street. Who knows what happened? I don't know. I don't follow all those stories. But if he's true to himself, he's going to have people that don't like him. And if he's going to have people that love him at the same time, you know, that's that's just part of being an adult. Yeah, it's a scaling problem too, right? When you're dealing with the people within your family, like that's not a lot of people. But then when you start to deal with a thousand people, 10,000 people, the odds that one person is going to dislike you and just for no good reason, that's going to scale upwards. And then when you have people watching your videos and it's a million people, the odds that there's going to be a group of people who don't like you is going to be higher. But I think that that's something our brains aren't really adapted to because we're used to interacting with people. You're not used to those comments where now you're starting to take it personally. Yeah, exactly. And look how social media is not that old either. And a lot of people have haters. Like, let's say, I don't know, for example, let's say Kim Kardashian. She's like a mega star on social media. Mm. How many people love her? Like, she has like one of the most biggest, largest following. And how many people in the world hate her, you know? And then she's just being herself, really. And I feel like Ariel has millions of fans. Yeah. So she's going to have a couple hundred thousand haters. <laughs> That's exactly, normal. Exactly. I feel like it comes, with, it comes with having a lot of fans. Yeah. But I find him super inspirational and the way that I feel like he interviews so many fighters is different than what you get at the press conferences. And it's not that the press conferences aren't like valuable, but his approach of like really getting to the heart of a person is so much more genuine and sincere and gets me really invested in fighters and, and what's going on. We'll be back after a quick break. Joseph M. Wanted with the Constitutionalist Politics. Tune in for the upcoming episode for May 4. Issue, never the issue. As well as, yes, Peter Serafin, Rosemary Downer, Don Gallade, Gista the Rapper, Cy Young, Jason Perry, and upcoming Jack Hagar, Andrew Thorpe King, Trent Rock, Ed Temple, Chris Morehouse, and more. Please tune in to Constitutionalist Politics. God bless. Yeah, I agree. Like I was talking with you when you interviewed me last time. It's like a breath of fresh air when you, you ask me questions that aren't just so, so superficial, you know, and that you try to get your fans and my fans, because we're working together, to get to know me beyond just... Oh, how many fights do you have? Oh, yeah, okay, you won your last fight. Okay, tell us about your your reaction. Okay, blah, blah, blah. But what else is going on in your life? How do you develop this? How do you do that? How do you think about the situation? You know, you get into my thoughts. And I feel like Ariel does that really, really well, too. That's why he's so big, because he asks the questions that most regular journalists don't ask. 
you know? the human questions, the real questions that yeah. I feel like we want the answer to. And that's why I was so interested in sitting down with you was because I really like walked away from our conversation being like, this person has a really strong philosophy, like something that grounds yeah. you beyond just the day to day, whatever's new and shiny, the newest iPhone, like you have, you have a way of thinking about things that grounds you. And I find that so many people don't have that so that when they see the new iPhone commercial, they're like, oh, I need to get that because that's what the commercial is telling me I need rather than being able to zoom out and look at how you impact your loved ones, how you impact your community, how you impact your fans, how you like you understand kind of your role in the world in a different way than I find other people do. Yeah. And that's why I kind of would like to talk about different things like that's my philosophies, then always answer the same basic questions, basically. So that's why it's interesting. I love getting on here with you or with Ariel too. Actually, he always asks me really in-depth questions and he tries to get a different angle. So people get to know me more personally and what it's like to be around me, you know, around being my friends, but even though we're not close, right? So that's, a, it's, I find out that's a better approach to interviewing fighters. And I feel like people who go down that route to personalize uh, athletes will have a bigger following in the end as well. I agree. That emotional connection, like watching you fight after speaking with you and after hearing your story, I was way more like my hands were getting sweaty. <laughs> like I was like, oh my gosh, here we go. And you had Aaron, talked about imagine it. my wife, man. Imagine I my wife. <laughs> I, I can't imagine what it's like to be them, to be in the arena right yeah. there and knowing you every single day and seeing you go into that circumstance all by yourself. Like it, when you talked about that in the interview and then being there, it was like, this is so surreal to sit here and know that I talked to this person and know that they're going into a war. And then you won and i was super happy and grateful that you didn't take any damage but it was such a different experience yeah i know for sure and you know it's funny to talk about like my wife like before covid she had come to all my fights since i'm like 15 or 16 but during covid she wasn't able to come to the draco fight because of the rules and whatever blah blah but now i'm on a hot streak so i told her listen man you're coming that's it it's done it's done until this hot streak is broken <laughs> even though we're not really supposed to believe in those things yeah. but like i did notice that it's just like way less stressful for me to not have her there fight week because you know MMA fans in the in the arena they get wasted and you know it, there could be a lot of aggression in the stands and things like that so like I used to always stay in the back of my head if she's okay if she's all right you know what I mean or I don't know you know because I know she's sitting with like either my brother like not for us but my other brother and or like a couple of my friends or whatever but you know you never know what can happen in the audience like MMA crowd is still a rough crowd they get rowdy you know it's like hardcore fans and drink a lot of beer and you know things happen in the in the in there so like actually I find it it's more relaxing that she's at home she's safe and she's watching from TV I feel much better about it I don't blame you. I was there and we were at the pre-fight press conference and there were some jabronis, if I can use yeah, that Yeah, of course. Word. There's going to be wild cats over there, man. Screaming away and they were just yelling, Dana, the whole time. The whole time. And it was like, yeah. what are you, like, even if he responded to you, what are you going to say after that? There's no logic to this. Nothing. There's no, there's no logic. There's no logic, but they're excited and we love them. I'm happy they're there. You yeah, know, yeah. I'm really happy they're there. But, you know, when you see fights happening, it it, it it feeds that inner beast, feeds that in you. And sometimes you might you might just want to throw a few hands. And it's happened a lot when brawls break out at, at, at MMA events. It happens all the time. It happens in NFL. It happens at the NHL. People, you know, they get into disagreements. And, uh, you know, MMA, it's a spot where it can happen. <laughs> or the arena starts to fall apart on the person walking out. Oh, my God. That was crazy, man. Who that was, was that? Crazy. Was that, uh, that was Mike Mallet, no? Yeah. Was it Mike? Yeah, yeah, it happened to him. Yeah, it was nuts. I was watching it on TV. And I couldn't believe it. 
it was stunning. And then to think that he just walks out and that he fights and he wins is just so his crush His coach almost got crushed. Yeah, yeah. Which was hilarious. He didn't notice it was behind him, but it was just so funny. I was like, oh my God, he almost lost your coach there, bud. <laughs> and you know he zoned in when. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, it's funny. Another time when I fought in the Apex, uh, one of the guys, when he was supposed to walk out, his opponent was already in the cage. Okay, his opponent was already in the cage. It's his turn to make the walkout. I think his back seized up and he couldn't walk and then they canceled the fight. I don't know if you've heard about that. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember who it was. And the fight got canceled with his opponent in the, in the cage. Wow. It's insane. Like, you never know what's going to happen in MMA. I'm telling you, man. Stadium's falling apart. Guys getting spasms. Uh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> that's crazy. I had no idea. That's that's going to be such yeah. a trip to know that the fight could not happen while you're walking out. While you're walking out, man. Crazy. Are we able to explore? We're heading into the new year. And yeah. I'm just thinking about how people best maneuver this. There's arguments on the one hand that New Year's resolutions aren't necessary, that you should start the day you want to set a goal, you should start that day. You shouldn't put it off to some arbitrary date. But yeah. I do feel like there's value in us as a society all kind of agreeing that we're going to look at like where we're heading in life on this date and we're going to try and take real steps. This isn't, I'm going to stop having chocolate bars tomorrow. This is more like, how do I improve myself, level up my life over the next year and and grow as a person this year and how am i going to to bring this new tool into my life i'm just curious how do you think about new year's resolutions well it depends you know like uh i don't like like you said you know about putting that date you know i really feel like you don't need to wait until a date because in the end there's all the only way to achieve your goals is if you make the decision that you're going to work at it you know uh i don't believe in like somebody dragging dragging you to the finish line nobody can motivate you no date is going to motivate you you know unless let's say for me fight night i have to make my goal wait right so then it's like a deadline a deadline is different than a starting point right you know what i mean so like if i were to try to motivate someone right and that, that sounds like motivate i'd rather give them a deadline than to give them a starting point because it doesn't matter where you start. Yeah. It's when you how you finish. Right. And the only way to create urgency is the deadline. Because the starting point is always going to get pushed. Right? They'll find the 15,000 excuses. That's where like the whole problem with pro procrastination, procrastination, procrastination. It's not about starting. It's about giving yourself a time limit. And if the time limit can't motivate you, then you don't really want it, you know? Like some let's say for example, let's say for, for women, let's say they want to fit in a certain dress and a certain size that wedding date is the deadline and most women like, they're motivated now you know they're motivated and they're gonna get to that deadline no matter what it takes because there's so many things you could do to achieve your goal right so let's say you want to lose weight you can diet for a bit and then increase your training and then you can increase the intensity of your diet and then you could you know decrease your training a bit increase your nutrition uh, limits even more and there's all these different ca calibrations you can do to get to your goal weight but the whole point is to get to that weight by this date right. you know so like they don't have to start New Year's but pick the day you want to finish your goal you know, even if you start a week after New Year's it doesn't matter yeah. but let's say you say okay by June 1st by June 1st I'm going to be at this weight now so it's like the stock market so many things can go right and wrong up to that date but you got to work your butt off to make sure that you get it by then, you know, and you should give yourself a repercussion. Uh, I'll give you a funny story. My brother, every year on his birthday, 
Okay, he he he's, he wants to be nine percent body fat on his birthday every year, so that he never gets fat, right. so he never gets lazy, right? So that's his deadline. Every year he's got a deadline. Okay, if he doesn't make the the weight, the percentage, the nine percent, he owes his wife a thousand dollars. Okay, wow. But the thousand dollars, I think, has been cumulative. So since he hasn't missed it, that money is going up. Right, so I don't know if it's been five years now. I don't know when he came up with the idea. Three years. So like, if he doesn't make it this birthday, he's got he owes her a few grand. You right. know what I mean? So he finds something that hurts. It hurts inside. Like you know, it doesn't hurt to give your wife money, but it's like, oh man, now I gotta give her four K, or should I just make this wait? Yeah. <laughs> but it's a funny thing that they have going again. You know, you know, she like she's obviously she wants him to lose the weight, but she also like teases him. Oh no, you know, you should have this piece of cake. You should have this. You know, so it's like it keeps the relationship fun. So I feel like. If you have a spouse or whatever, and you guys are working towards goals, it could be funny to have like little things like that, or it keeps the relationship funny, you know. And then in the end, like you know, let's say you, you lose the wager, your wife she doesn't really, you know, she it's like you're taking money from one pocket and putting it in another. It's not a really big deal, you know. But it's it's just funny to see who could make it. And it's such a good point because for so many goals, we don't have, like, if we don't reach it, nobody knows. It's something just kind yeah. of in our heads, which is why yeah. I think they recommend you tell people that you're setting this goal so that yeah. you, you feel accountable, even if it, it's not good enough to be accountable just to yourself. Yeah. And for, like, for me, my clients, let's say, for example, I take on a client, okay? I have a, a very, like, burn the ships method, okay? So if they come on, they have to lose one pound a week. If you don't lose one pound a week, Two times, you're fired, and you have to you owe me two hundred dollars, a two hundred dollar penalty. Right. But I can't work with you anymore. Right. So you have to pay me for the for the program. Plus, if I train you personally, like with the hours, and if you fail, you owe me more money. <laughs> Nobody fails. Yeah. Why would they pay me to not lose weight? Yeah. It makes no sense. <laughs> they should only pay me if they're losing the weight. Yeah, yeah. So they lose the weight because they don't want to pay me and gain weight. Right. You know, so that's kind of the idea. And then I give them a deadline. Okay, we're going to be this way by every week, one pound. There's there's no ifs or buts. You don't make that pound, you owe me money. Right? Because I can't be more motivated than you. You know, so that's that's kind of like how I, I would work. I work with my team. I think that that's so important because we do like to like offset our responsibilities to other people so that we don't feel that weight on our own shoulders. Like yeah. you're going to make me healthy. Right. And like, that's yeah. no, you, you're the only one who's going to control. Cause like, I often think about this, there's like this discussion around like overweight people and whether or not they know whether or not it's, it's healthy, whether or not it looks good, it's not healthy. But like the other piece that I always think of, cause I was like really overweight for a period was they know like when you go have dinner with somebody and then you leave and you go get a burger yeah. from mcdonald's yeah. afterwards you know you're being a fatty like there's no yeah. there's no part yeah. of you that's eating that extra burger yeah. after having dinner and feeling like no this is a health move like i'm doing this because i care about myself like you know you're doing a guilty pleasure and so so yeah. much of that gets left out because it's healthy people saying like you're being unhealthy but as like someone who was overweight i knew in those moments like no you shouldn't get the fries but i'll get a medium yeah. fries as well <laughs> yeah exactly Exactly. And like, for, for me, it comes down to like, I know the program works. So the program won't fail you. You fail the program. That's kind of the idea. So let's say you want to, you know, want to lose weight or you want to, 
increase, I don't know, uh, your productivity or whatever. You set your goals and you find a way to do it. There's a million people who can do, uh, teach you how to do everything you want on YouTube. There's so much information on Google. Now there's ChatGPT. You can learn basically almost anything for almost free. Hmm. Like any skill, how to do anything, lose weight, lift weights, learn how to fight, uh, learn how to be a journalist. You can learn how to do so many things on YouTube and Google and ChatGPT that the answers are out there. It's you who's not performing, you know? I also feel like people sometimes, like they set the goal, I want to lose 15 pounds, but they, they need the understanding around it as well to like really get them motivated. So one of the things that like struck me was that if you're overweight and you have a kid and you pass on the likelihood that they're going to be overweight as a consequence of you being overweight and that's genetically passed down and that yeah. blew my mind so that's like a piece and then you think about like you want to be able to play with your kids you want to be able to be healthy yeah. live a long life like all these pieces you're taking away from it's not just 15 pounds it's a quality yeah. of life question yeah well let me ask you, you have any kids Aaron, or no how old are you not, man not, not yet i am 28 years old oh you're a young buck man you're a young buck well listen when you have kids one day wouldn't you want them to be have uh, be have a good mentality, strong, a smart, smart mind, educated? Okay. Wouldn't you want them to have a good spirit, good belief in something, something bigger than themselves, right? And wouldn't you want them to be healthy, physically healthy and fit? Yeah. So, why wouldn't you want that for yourself? You know, if you want your kids to have it, you should have it, because your kids, you know, like they don't only learn top down you know they don't only learn what you tell them they watch your mannerisms they, they, they watch your habits every day they're they're asking you questions little questions and they're watching you they're seeing how you live and how you act and how you order food and what you order and what you're doing and blah 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 and how you speak self-talk is huge you know so and they're registering all this right they're, they're subconscious like a supercomputer so if you want them to be good in all these three facets of life okay you should be taking that on as well, you know? So it's very important to work on your mindset, to work on your health, and to work on your physicality. You need to be strong in all three, you know? I wouldn't want my kid to just be smart and be fat and have no spirit and, like, not care, not, no, not like, believe in anything bigger than themselves. You know, they, they might end up nihilistic. They might end up super depressed and, on you know, on hormones and all these things. I don't want any of that, man. I want them to be strong in all three facets so they can have a nice, healthy, beautiful life. That's kind of like the goal for the girls, you know? I couldn't agree more. It reminds me of what Jordan Peterson talks about when he talks about this idea that we take better care of making sure our pets take their medication than we do of making sure we take care of our own bodies and, and make sure we're healthy, that we can care about something else, but to give that care to ourselves, we're not very good at. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that's an issue with... Um, obviously a lot of you know, parents for sure, but also team leaders, you know? So a lot of people are bosses, they're not really leaders, yeah. you know? Luckily for me, for us, a really good mentor, he's a great leader, you know? He, he fulfills those three assets, those three aspects of life. And he also helps educate the guys to have that going on at the same time. And like for me, it's almost like I have two lives. I have my career life and I have my family life. And I'm trying to excel at both Parallel at the same time, you know, my fight life doesn't take away from my family life and vice versa. My family life never takes away from uh, the fight life. But for me, that's what's being successful is I'm able to do both. You know, I didn't have to stop fighting to take care of my family and I didn't have to, you know, leave my family to take care of fighting. 
Right. You know, I'm not abandoning them and I'm not abandoning fighting either. I'm able to kind of like build both up at the same time. And it keeps me very busy for sure. And my wife's amazing. My wife's really, really good. She's doing the same thing. And and then I feel like that's how you got to live. You can't just focus on only one thing. You need your life and you need a way to generate uh, income, right? And you have to have a passion. I was just talking to my daughters. My daughter was telling me, she's like, I don't know what I want to do. She's five years old. I don't know what I want to be. I don't know what I want to be. I think I'm going to be a singer. I think I'm going to be a doctor. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And listen, whatever you choose, make sure you love it. Make sure you absolutely love it. It's something that you want to do. And then you become so good at it, everyone's willing to pay you to do it. That's it. You, fi- you figure that out, you'll be fine. Things are going to be fine. Yeah. That's a really good advice. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> to wrap up the conversation on physicality, do you think that it's more useful? If people are like, I want to lose weight, I want to get healthier, did they set the goal of like getting really good at boxing or trying out jujitsu or doing something where it's not as specifically about going to the gym every day, five days a week, or going for a run five days a week? Is there tools? How do people make sure that they stay accountable and at least move in that direction? It's funny, as I, I talk to my nutritionist about this concept a lot, and uh, one thing that I find that's really important is that you have to understand almost all the methods work, okay? If you want to box to lose weight, you want to jiu-jitsu to lose weight, you want to go to the fitness room and lift weights to lose weight, or if you want to just only nutrition, you only focus on nutrition, you'll lose weight. If you want to do the Atkins diet, if you want to do the Dolce diet, if you want to do the Lockhart diet, if you want to do uh, Jenny Craig, you want to do whatever, they all work. The only thing that doesn't work is you. <laughs> That's that? true. So basically, the, the, the only answer is that you have to find the plan that you enjoy doing the most so you can sustain it. You know, like for me, in my experience, the people, the easiest way, the, the least painful way is fasting. Okay, it's the least painful way. Is it the only way? No. The reason why I think it's the least painful way is because me, I work with a lot of like uh, businessmen and women, you know, and when they start, when I introduce fasting to them, they like it because they waste less time eating and going out to eat. They could spend more time working and less time preparing meals, right? At a point when they, when they fast for 36 hours or 42 hours, they only eat once every two days. Like now they're so much more productive. Yeah. And their mind is still clear and they're losing the weight. So it's like, it's hitting a lot of elements at the same time. So for me, I feel like fasting works a lot, very well for like a, the like the business realm. But for some people, if let's say like you want to eat, you're used to eating three, four meals a day, you can still lose weight. If you have no access to gym, you can still lose weight. If you want to not change your diet, but you want to lose weight with fitness, you can find a trainer who can help you do that too. You know, but find the one that you can do every day happily and enjoy it. That way you won't quit. It's not it's not about it's not about getting to the goal. It's about if you get to the goal and maintain it forever. Yeah. You gotta keep it going, you know. That's the big that's the big challenge I faced when I was trying to lose weight was like just hitting those plateaus and those like if you hit it, you think you made it so you can go back to the way you were living. And you can't. No, you, you can't. You can't. You have to make an adjustment, you know. That's why like fasting is really good. Because let's say you have to, you get deep into fasting, like you, all of a sudden, like you're doing, you know, two, three days, you don't need to eat or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But then once you've attained your goal weight, okay, you can cycle back the length of fasting. So instead of doing like a couple of days, you can go back to 18 hour fasts, which is not a big deal. You basically, you basically skip breakfast, 
and you have lunch a few a couple hours later and then boom that's 18 hours and you won't put the weight back on really really fast and then oh if you notice oh i gained like three four pounds oh you know what i'm gonna go on a two-day fast but now that you've developed the skills of fasting and the mentality you know that you could just knock out a two-day fast but if you let it snowball to the point or it's a hill to climb to come back it's a problem you know one of my teammates okay i bring him to all my fights every year neil's in my corner Okay, every time I fight, he's in my corner. Every time I fight, he's motivated to lose weight. After my fights, and he goes, he loses the weight. But then by the time my next fight, he's fat again. And I keep telling him, I'm like, Neil, it's not, it's not, being in shape is not hard. It's getting in shape. It's the getting. But once you're in shape, maintaining it is way easier than getting in shape. Getting in shape is hell. Yeah. It's so painful. It's so painful. The first few weeks of being back in the weight room, it's your muscles are sore. But if you never stopped, you don't get as sore anymore. Do you eat anything or do anything? I don't know if you heard about what Dana White's doing. Um, and he has this period of time where he's fasting, but then he goes, I think it's 72 hours, and then he's doing like a bone broth with it yeah, to I make sure that he has nutrients. I've done it before. I'm not doing fasting right now, but yes, I've done it. This bone broth is amazing. GSP's on a huge kick. I think he just did like a three-day fast right now. He just saw him on Instagram. He was posting about it. He had like uh, a huge steak and uh, bone marrow, two huge bone marrows for his, after three days of no eating. That's the first thing he ate. It's pretty cool. And that's another thing. Like when you don't eat for three days, when you have supper with your family, that's like an event. Yeah. You know, like sometimes, sometimes like one of the, some of the, say for example, one of the business guys um, I worked with, when he got down to not eating for three days, so he'd only eat it two times, two or three times, he'd eat like three times a week. I told him, listen, because he was worried about like not having supper with his kids every day. I said, listen, you don't have supper with your kids every day, but those three times that you have supper with them, you make them special. You know, there's no TV, you know, you, you, you and your wife can cook a special meal or you can order a special meal or on the weekend, let's say you're eating Saturday night, you take your whole family out to dinner. And then he realized after a month or so of that, his kids were like, whoa, like, so nice to spend time with you. You're so much, you're so much happier, so much more relaxed, and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, like, it, it pays dividends, you know, but they all do. But I'm just saying, like, that's another route, you know, fasting is just something I work with a lot. So, like, that's my experiences, but they all can be great. That's one area where I do feel like we skip out a lot uh, in Western culture is that idea of having a meal together and making that special. And like, I grew up setting the table in a certain way. And like now yeah. it's like, I don't need to set the table, I just put the fork yeah. on the plate. But there's something to that relationship with like, we're going to make this an experience that this is going to be like a, a connecting moment where we're enjoying a meal. I tried something new. I made this weird lasagna. We're going to give that a try. I did my best on it. So I hope you like it. Like there's an experience to trust people with food and sharing yeah. that kind of time together well it makes sense because now it's so easy to get food i mean for us for the western culture it's so easy you can eat all day like my kids if they wanted they could snack all day like the night they ain't going starving like we got supermarkets we got restaurants and it's not super expensive compared to like back in the day you know like let's say for my, my parents generation so my parents didn't go to restaurants all the time yeah you know my mom cooked a lot at home my mom was a stay-at-home mom <laughs> and uh Skipped a lot of time at home. And, you know, times are hard. Like, my parents were immigrants. They came here with nothing. So, like, they're happy to have the meal. They're happy to sit down with the family and be able to afford the meal, right? They came from nothing. And I just feel like now, you know, there is kind of like a really nice standard of living in Western culture, you know? And uh, I just feel like, you know, it's not as appreciated, which is normal, because now it's so easy. It's just so easy. But listen, 
don't eat for three days and not, tell me if eating a meal is uh, something special or not. <laughs> I will give then that a try. Then you'll feel like it's special. Then you'll feel I'll, like, wow, this is really nice. I'll make you a deal. I will do that. And the next time you come on, I will tell you what that experience was like. Because I've not, yeah, never done a three-day fast before. I've never 72 done hours, man. You do 72 hours okay. and record your reaction okay. to sitting down and eating. Let me tell you, you're going to feel bliss. I usually do like the bliss. one day and like yeah. have have just dinner and then I haven't eaten. And then the next day, I'm usually pretty good at that. And there is something to not giving your body anything. Like there's something, if you have a granola bar or something, it's broken yeah. and now your metabolism is running and it wants food. And yeah. like now you're hungry, yeah. but there's something to like, you've lasted so long and I do feel so much sharper. So I am actually curious about the results that that will bring. You should do it because also what's interesting about fasting is your stomach, it shrinks, Yeah, right? It gets smaller and smaller and you get used to eating less food. So you get by on less and you can last longer because your body is covered in energy. All those fat stores, right? If, if, if we figured this out years ago, man, that your body stores fat for energy, but nobody's using it. You know, it's, it's a funny thing. But you, what, what are you storing it for, man? You don't need it. You're, you know, you're charging your battery every three, four hours. You're eating your food. You're, you know, you're putting all this energy in. You got to use it, man. And on that 72-hour fast, you're going to see there's going to be a huge wave of hunger. But that huge wave of hunger that comes, it's more habit than it is physical pain. Yeah. And if you can believe in that and trust in that it's your hunger pains are really a habit pain and not a physical pain yeah. you'll get to the 72 that's what i've heard is that you start to look at the signs and you start to look at the food and you see the ads and you start to realize how much you've just acclimated to this i have lunch every single day i have dinner yeah. every single day i eat food for breakfast every single day and how much slower you feel when you're doing that like there's this old rule three meals a day and that's just hogwash yeah yeah it doesn't make any sense yeah it doesn't make any sense i mean it depends you know like me when i'm getting ready for a fight i don't fast because I want the energy for practice. So I eat three meals and three snacks, but they're very small meals. But basically the idea for my nutrition plan for let's say fight camp, yeah. is to not spike my insulin, right? So I'm just trying to keep my insulin really, really low the whole day, right? That's another way, like I'm telling you, there's so many ways to do it. I'm not yeah. just trying to promote fasting only, right? Because fasting is just one way. I just find it convenient if you're very busy and you have a million things to do in your life and you have a family, business and kids and all these different things going on, juggling on fasting. It actually requires you to do less work, less cooking, less cleaning dishes, less spending time at the restaurants or at the, at the table. Yeah. So I just find it so convenient, but you could do it in different ways. So if I do this 72 hour fast, should I be doing the bone broth? Is that something I should be having? No. I mean, you know, listen, okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Jason Fong is a doctor in Toronto and he's like kind of the guy pioneering like bringing all the science to fasting to the forefront you know he's like really the guy the go-to guy and in one of his books he talks about you shouldn't have any of the bone broth until you have like a, a fast that's over 48 hours okay <laughs> but it's because you're going to go for four days five days six days seven days but if you're stopping at 72 in my opinion okay you don't need it yeah, I'm here for doctors of hobby right here. I'm ready for it. <laughs> I'll trust your judgment, man. You've I, don't, got I don't think you need it. I think you got everything you got inside. Okay, we're all up here, you right? Got all, you got all in there, man. You know, and uh, listen, you, I don't know if you 
should check this guy out, okay? He okay. is very funny. He's a YouTuber. I think his YouTube thing is called The Fasting Fat Man. I don't know if you've heard of him. I have not, no. Okay, he's got a crazy amount of viewers now. Um, basically, he was like 500 pounds. And he had a son. And the story goes something like his son had just started crawling. And he he was sitting on the couch. And his son was about to crawl down the stairs, like the... To, to go to the basement yeah. and he wanted to get up and stop his son from crawling into the, into the down the stairs and fall down, but he couldn't get off the couch. Wow. He was struggling. He couldn't stand up. He couldn't stand up. He couldn't stand up. He couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't. Finally, he lays down, rolls off the couch and crawls, bear crawls until he grabs his son, grabs his son by the ankle and saves him from going on this, down the stairs. Okay. <laughs> so he was like, I can't believe it. I'm so fat now that I I can't even help my own son, right. you know? So it motivated him. Anyways, so this guy decides to go fast. He didn't eat for 150 days. 150 days, no food. But he was being followed by a doctor. And he was documenting on YouTube. That's something he became like super, super popular, right? So he's doing like all these vlogs and these different things. And he's like keeping people up to date on what's going on, what he feels. So he was having like some supplements, salt and bone broth. Right. That's it. But no actual food. And that's okay because you need those, uh, you need you need salt, you need the sodium, you need some some proteins, but he's doing nothing that spikes his insulin. Right. Right. So he's trying to keep his insulin really, really low and fast. And he lost something like 230 pounds in 150 days. I can't remember the numbers exactly, but it's an like, amazing amount of weight. Uh-huh. And uh, when he stopped at, at uh, 150 days, he just started scaling down. So instead of like not eating ever, he was eating every 24 hours. Like now I, I haven't been following him since, right. but uh, he's he's very inspirational because he is really confident in himself that he's able to make jokes about the situation. You know, he calls himself the fasting fat man. I'm not calling him fat, you know, but yeah. he, he finds a way to make humor out of it. Right. And he's very relatable to the average person because a lot of people are, are heavier than they want to be. And this guy was 500 pounds. Like, this guy is at an extreme, a crazy extreme. And he got down to 200. You know, so to lose 300 pounds and to do it with a smile and to be joking, like, for me, I really feel like he's an inspiration. I couldn't agree more. And he's, yeah. I'm sure, thick-boned, right? That's what everybody Yeah, yeah big guy. Really big guy. Yeah. Yeah, very big guy. Okay, the other thing I want to accomplish in 2024 is start doing this cold plunge thing. I want to fit in. I want to try this yeah. cold plunge thing, but it seems cold and yeah, like the Some cold. Guys, they take it too far. Like, listen, I'm a little princess in the cold, but what can I tell you? Like uh, me, I, I get into that cold plunge at 10 degrees. I feel like that's like my magic number. Right. And... Uh, some guys, they take it too far. I don't know why they go colder. I don't think you need any colder than that, man. I think the, the science is in. 10 degrees, you know, you're not going to get like any frostbite. And you're not going to get any mental issues. You're not going to faint in there. You're not going to have a hard time. But some of these guys, they take it to like 5 degrees, 4 degrees. I think it's just a little bit too cold. Uh, try 10. And let me know how that goes. <laughs> what do you use? Do you have one of those tubs? How do, how do you approach it? No, like me, like uh, let's say when I have fight camp. <clears throat> Sorry, when I have fight camp, I go to this. There's a spa here uh, near my house, right? And they have like the, the jacuzzi, the dry sauna. They have like a steam room, and then they have like these quiet rooms, and then they also have ice baths like around the different areas. So basically, me, what I do is let's say like every week before a fight for for eight weeks, 
every Saturday, I go to the spa. I do 45 minutes in the jacuzzi. Then I go 10 minutes in the sauna. Then I do 10 minutes in the ice. Then I do it again. Yeah, and then I do it again. That's it, done. But 10 degrees, listen, listen. If you're in 10 degrees, you can do 10. 10 minutes. Anything under 10 degrees, you're not staying there very long. So, like, I don't know. That's the trade-off for me. I found found a temperature that it's really cold, but I can stay in it. I can sustain it. Uh, Or a lot of guys, what they do, they go even colder, say 5 degrees or 4 degrees, but they're in and out in 20 seconds. Yeah. So, I don't know scientifically what's better. But for me, for the mental challenge, I like sitting in there and like withstanding the cold for a long period of time. It just helps me get ready for the fight, I find. That's what I was going to ask. Is it more a mental game or is it a physical challenge? What is what is it more yeah. of? Like in the 10 degrees, it, I feel like it's 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 a nice mix of both. Okay. Whereas anything higher than 10, it's not cold enough. Mm. But anything lower, it's going to be very hard to stay a long time. And you don't want to do something that's too hard that might actually make your mental game worse push you down like if i go in a two degree uh ice bath and i know i can't stay more than 30 seconds i don't feel tough yeah i don't feel like i'm overcoming anything I'm, I'm in and out. yeah it sucks and i think there are some studies coming out that you can't be too cold for too long right so you have to be careful there could be some damage in there so i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know all the science i don't know all the maybe huberman's talking about it i don't know i gotta yeah. find that oh, but, he's uh, yeah. i like i like the 10 degrees aspect Okay, my my next question is around the mental game. I find, as I said, you have a really strong philosophy. So I'm just wondering, how can people start on this journey? I know a lot of goobers that aren't as thoughtful and they don't think as critically. Where would you recommend people start their journey if they're serious about growing their mental game, being able to think of things bigger than themselves? How do they how do they move in that direction? Uh, there's a lot of different ways, you know, and I feel like a, a lost art in a lot of ways, is uh, finding a good mentor. You know? Uh, I think it's it, there's more in mentorship than people give way to these days. If you look at back in the day, you know, especially like during the Renaissance, it was all about mentorship. You learn from a master. You go in there and you do what he tells you. You know, if he's an artist, you're handing him those paintbrushes. You're cleaning up after him. You're doing all these things, but you're watching him do the strokes. He's talking to you. He's telling you how he's doing the strokes. You watch how he lives his life. You watch it all. And you you start to pick up those things like a child would from their parents. You know what I mean? And it was funny because like I remember I was having conversations. We're always talking about the kids, okay? And in my family, like my side of the family, we're always like come up with ideas like, oh, what did you do? Like, how are you trying to solve this problem? Like, if this comes up and all that, planning for the future, planning for the future. Ten years ahead, ten years ahead, ten years ahead. I was like, okay, what if my daughters? You know, when it comes to like the teenage phase, they start like giving me issues, right? Let's say they start becoming like bad girls or whatever. I don't know what they get into the wrong things, or maybe they get into like friends who do drugs, and I'm worried about them. What am I gonna do? I was thinking, man, maybe I could find them someone that I know within like my network, who I think is a great mentor, who could has the potential. Maybe they're not doing mentorships, but has the potential to mentor. Maybe that's somebody I can reach out to and be like, hey, listen. Um, would you take my daughter on as an apprentice? You don't have to pay her, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And I'll find incentives for my daughters to go along, whether she wants, whether they want like money per achievement or whatever, if they want to like have a car by the, that age or if they want to do a trip or something, I can use, you know, a carrot 
to motivate them through the process. And then I'm also going to have a stick for it if they don't want to, you know, yeah. so it's got to be like a, you know, you need to have both. Right. So like that for me, I really feel like finding the people that are doing it already and emulating them and learning from them. And there are people in your network. I don't care who you are, you know, a friend of a friend who's doing it, who's making it happen, you know, and you could be a part of that. All you have to do is ask. A lot of the times, if you don't ask, you don't know whether or not they would do it. You just go up there and ask. And doing something for free could make you a lot more money than working minimum wage. Yeah. You know, so mentorship is huge for me. And I really feel like it's a lost art. It's really a lost art. Man, I vibe with that so much because one of the reasons I started this, I didn't have a dad growing up. And so oh, wow. one, of, one of my things was like, there are all these things that I don't know about. And when I went skiing as a kid, I wore jeans because I didn't know I needed to wear pants because I didn't have yeah. that, that role model saying, this is yeah. how you gear up. This is how you set up. I didn't have somebody who taught me this is what a healthy meal looks like. This is how you eat and you want to make sure there's vegetables. And it's not just because they taste bad. It's because it gives you the nutrients your body needs. I didn't learn any of that so when i started the podcast the sense was like i want to know things that i didn't know before to gain information and have a deeper understanding have that philosophy live a healthy life and share these people i think are admirable with other people so you can follow their journey and get inspired by them and maybe take that step in your own life that people yeah. aren't making and within my indigenous community i know there's the biggest challenge is there isn't that role model next door we have reservations where everybody's in the same boat everybody's on social assistance everybody doesn't have a job everybody has a piece of crap car they're all in the similar boat and if you brought somebody outside of that and said here's a lawyer get to know them maybe that's not your thing maybe we bring in a dentist maybe we bring in yeah. an architect and learn from these people and maybe that's not your vibe but seeing them be passionate will make you passionate too. And that's what I really wanted to make this platform all about is inspiring people to reach for more and try and make a difference and grow within themselves in a different way than I think we get so used to. So you saying that really resonates with me. Well, I think you're doing a great job, man. That's awesome. I didn't know about the not having a father, but that's yeah. incredible. You're really growing up to be a man too, right? Look at you. You're super successful. You're doing great. Thanks. And I, I do agree with your idea of, let's say, like, bringing in lawyers to the community and like people like you have to bring in the, like you said, the person that's passionate, that passion that can rub off on a young mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like you said, if the kid has no interest in lawyers, okay, then you bring a dentist and then you bring in a, a restaurateur, like an entrepreneur owns, opens a restaurant. There's some guys who are amazing at open restaurants, man. Yeah. Some guys are amazing at doing whatever you have to find the things that motivates the kid that that's what he's into already something he's into you know maybe those kids are amazing at drawing who knows you bring in an artist who could draw and teach it a kid's class blah blah whatever i can remember one of my nephews was super into graffiti right and my brother found a school not a school but like a a, a lady who teaches kids how to do graffiti and like to pass their final exam or whatever and like it was like a summer program or whatever they had to go and graffiti a wall that they had and they had to make an art piece and whatever but it's just something to motivate them and they got to he got to be inspired by someone well, that's something they're really good at. And I, I agree with you, man. And I think that's something the indigenous communities need more of is more people coming in and inspiring them to get out of those, you know, those things. And uh, hopefully more can be done. Hopefully the other piece that I feel like resonated with me or shaped me was I got to visit my First Nation community and understand what the living circumstances were there. And then I got to go visit my family in White Rock who lived in like a $1.3 million home and <laughs> had, had the really nice neighborhood. So I got like yeah. a really strong understanding of like, 
what poverty and what adversity looks like and what success and financial comfort and financial freedom looks like. So I just find that I'm constantly wanting to work on things and grow things and develop things. And then other people are like, "Ah, I don't know why you work so hard. Like, why don't you just take a break? And it's like, but there's just pure opportunity. If you just put in the work, if you just put in the effort, you're going to get so much farther than the people who are sitting on their couches, watching another rerun of the office or friends or whatever it is, you're going to be moving ahead gradually past them and the doors are limitless to where you can take your own life. I agree totally. And I like the idea that you said you had the contrast of the two lives, you know, and it's it's interesting because uh, it's more like in the United States, but a lot of millionaires in the United States come from nothing. Something like 71% of millionaires in the United States came from nothing, which is incredible. And let's say if you could do that in one generation, as one like you started for your family to become a millionaire from nothing, you know maybe that's something that we should introduce to kids in poverty. Be like, listen, I know you like your circumstances aren't the best, but you go meet people who started from similar, and you get that story from them. How did they make it? What motivated them? How did they put things together to make it work? You know, and maybe those small habits that those other people were able to accomplish and they can accomplish, right? Because if you only see the end goal and you don't know the story of this, the micro goals, the little mini goals that compounded on top of each other to reach millionaire status, you think that the dream is impossible, but really there's 50 steps to, to come to, to attain before you can even become a millionaire. And those, that first step is maybe possible. And then you get the first step, you double up, you triple up, you quadruple, boom, 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 boom. That could be something really, really interesting, you know, that uh, I mean, I'm really into like helping the kids out, you know, because yeah. I feel like it is possible for one generation to turn the whole family around, 100%. take them from poverty to to uh, high society. It can happen. And that's one of the reasons we love the Conor McGregor's, right, is that they're emblematic of that exact idea. He was a welfare continue. guy. Exactly. Working. Was he? He wasn't the one cleaning. Was he a janitor or something? He I don't know something. if he was a janitor, but GSP was a, a garbage man. Yeah. That's he just he was picking up garbage, man. Yeah. Literally a garbage picker, and he's a multimillionaire. Came from nothing. Came from literally from nothing, but he made it work. You know, and there are a lot of MMA stories like that uh, for sure. But also outside of MMA, Absolutely. you know, a lot of businessmen, a lot of smart guys. They opened just a, a restaurant that was a brilliant idea that's super well structured, and all of a sudden they have six, seven, eight. Like where I'm from, okay, a lot of these, a lot of a lot of guys have opened up breakfast chains, like breakfast chains are huge in my area. Okay, let me tell you something. Every few years, there's a new hotspot <laughs> breakfast place, okay? Got it. And there's one place that's called like Alamo Coco, okay? And uh, <laughs> they started with one place and then they boom to like 30 spots, which is incredible. You know what yeah. I mean? And these are just a couple of guys from my neighborhood when I was young and I'm going seeing them at the restaurant. They're like, oh my God, Emma, nice to see you, blah, blah. I remember when you were five years old. I'm like, yeah, I remember when you were 12 and I was five and you were poor. And I look at this, you know, it's, it's incredible. It's really, really cool. It's really, really cool. So like, you know, those guys, they grew up with nothing. But there are a few friends that got together and they figured, they were working in restaurants, yeah, right? Through family restaurants. And then they came up with their own breakfast idea. Boom, they turned it around. And then other guys who worked under them opened other restaurants, competitors, and those chains started going up. And then they're competing. And then guys who worked under the new guys got their own restaurant. And like now, if you come to Montreal, it's crazy how many amazing, high-end, very nice breakfast restaurants we have. <laughs> like, very cutthroat here. It's very cutthroat. 
Can you guys come out this way? Because I feel like we have oh, like yeah. two out in BC. Yeah. Oh, I'm telling you, you guys have nothing compared to us for breakfast. Yeah. Nothing. This is Thanks. the this is the spot for breakfast. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. I, the other part about working with kids is like putting yourself out there and letting yourself be that role model is something I find, as you said, people are willing to do. Like I'm on council for my community. So I get okay, to great. see the growth going on in the community and the development and the people who are really putting themselves out there. But there's almost this responsibility that mentors have, people with knowledge have to go and share that wealth of knowledge and experience with others. And again, that's what makes fighters so interesting is because you're willing to come on and share your story. But when I reach out to some professors or, or some dentists, it's kind of like, no, I don't want to go out into the spotlight. Like, I don't want that role. But that's kind of necessary in order for people to figure out how they fit into this world. Yeah, I agree. And also, like, if you're a mentor, you want to teach them the real stuff. You want them to be successful, right? Then why would you waste anybody's time? You know, unless you're evil. You know what I mean? So, like, it's really important to then, once you realize you're a mentor, you have to continue doing what you're doing. And then also realize, what is it that I'm really doing? Because a lot of people, they're, they're great, but they don't even know why what are the small pieces that make them great? Yeah. And then they realize as they try to, you know, articulate it or pass on the knowledge, you know, like sometimes you see a lot of greats that their kids aren't great. It happens more often than not. Yeah. Not every great athlete or every great musician or every great entrepreneur passes that on. A lot of times their kids just end up being spoiled and, or whatever, or become drug addicted or like, just because you're a success doesn't mean you're going to be able to pass that on. Yeah. You know, so I feel like even to be a good mentor, it takes a lot of deep self-reflection and understanding what makes you so great. And not a lot of people can articulate that or pass it on to anybody else. Yeah, there's that difference between like when I first learned about old money and new money and how like some people get the money and then they spend it immediately. Most people who win the lottery end up spending it instantly or misspending it because they've never known what it's like to manage that kind of money. Yeah, They don't end up succeeding. But the people who instill values in their kids support them, teach them how to run businesses. I don't know if you've heard of Patrick Bet David, but he talks yeah, a lot about it. Yeah, he talks a lot about this in his interview with Chris Williamson about like, how do I support my kid in facing enough? adversity where they're not like a spoiled brat but not yeah. so much as i went through where like i was literally striving to just keep food in the house yeah i mean as a parent this is a very delicate balance because i don't want my kids to think we're rich so much that they think that all the problems i can buy it and then when they grow up they can expect me to solve their problems with with, with money i can just gonna throw money on it and buy their problem away exactly. it doesn't work like that you know i want them to try to I want them to live without me eventually. Like, basically, I want this bird to fly. I want this bird to leave the nest, you know? That's the goal. Like, that's why I'm always trying to think I think in the future, like, me and my brothers and my cousins. My cousins are really good, too. Like, we're always, you know, giving each other ideas because we have kids different ages. So we talk about our the experiences of, a, of each age and what, what they did as a solution and what they regret, you know, because sometimes the solutions that they came up with ended up backfiring, right? No one's perfect. You know, there are certain things you're going to get wrong. It's normal. But we also share it so to give our other cousins a chance with their, with their younger ones when they get there, right? So we're very open about discussing that kind of thing. And it's, it's, a, it's a very hard problem to solve, balancing how much you can give them and how much to withhold from them. But it's because if you withhold too much, you create a resentment and then you're going to have to support them because they refuse to do anything or that you can give them so much that they're paralyzed to do anything. Right. right. So you have two opposite pitfalls here. 
and you got to skate through the middle, man. And it's not easy. It's not easy. So uh, I'm still working on it. <laughs> so it's a tough, tough cookie to crack. I'm just I'm doing my best to uh, to keep them in the middle, but we'll see how it goes, man. Beautiful. My last question, and I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I've learned so much, and I just enjoyed talking to you. Um, it's my what, pleasure to be here. What's next for 2024? What are you hoping to see? More fights, more fights, more money. <laughs> I got problems. I got kids. No, <laughs> no, no, definitely. I just want more fights. Two fights a year, three fights. Really excited to just like get, keep the ball rolling, keep it going. I'm really excited to just show more of what I can do. You know, that's what I really, my main goal for that, like for my career wise is to put two fights in a year, three fights in a year. And in terms of family, you know, I'm doing some rentals in the house, make the living space even nicer. And, uh, just, uh, you know, taking some trips with the kids whenever we can, you know, a lot of bonding, educating them, things like that. And, uh, keeping them on the straight and narrow, man, keeping the kids on the straight and narrow, you know, just raising them, raising them is, you know, it's, uh, one of my favorite things to do. I'm so grateful. It's always such a pleasure chatting with you. Can you remind people how they can keep up to date with your journey? Yeah, guys, you can follow me at uh, Ariel Hawaii. No, kidding. At Damon Zahavi <laughs> on Instagram. And uh, on the MMA, MMA Hour every Monday, I'm there. And uh, no, that's it, just on Instagram. And also, guys, if you want to learn any of our skills, you can go on jujiclub.com and you can download some of my brother's uh, instructional videos. Can you spell that? Juji? Juji Club. It's like jujitsu. It's J U J I. Club club dot com. Okay. I'm gonna Juju sign club. up. Yeah, gonna, well, I'm it's gonna... not a monthly. It's not a monthly thing. It's like a per order. So let's say you know, like a buy one DVD set. Let's say about like leg locks. Sure. Or you buy one on like takedowns. One on punch, unboxing. Okay. You know, so he sells like, like the these different DVDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Because crisp is you, but I think I can. Yeah, you're gonna get there, man. Some <laughs> yeah. Nice footwork. Actually, my brother teaches some really nice uh, footwork skills. It's very important, right? Because you can't punch without feet. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you got to coordinate your hands and your feet together. So that'd be interesting, guys, if anybody's interested. And it's always a pleasure to be on here, Aaron. So I'm very grateful for you to have me on. Well, I'm going to go start fasting now and uh, yes. get to work on my 72-hour fast. I'm going to do the cold plunge. and then Do the cold plunge. Do the, when you do the 72-hour fast, film your reaction to eating. That's okay. what I want. Okay. okay. And then maybe we can add it in the next interview after you tell me. Yeah. Then we can do a little clip. I would love to see it. Okay, sounds good. We will run that. Okay, great. Thank you again for doing this. Thank you very much. I'm just smiling the whole time. It was amazing. Well done. Yeah, it was great. I I love being with you guys, man. You guys are the best. Honestly, like, it's very refreshing. You know, it's not always superficial stuff. You guys get to give me a chance for people to know me better. You know, and I, I really appreciate that. You're just such a fun person. You've just got this energy. You got this smile. You got the energy. Thank you. You too, man. You guys are great, man. I also I always feel welcome, and I feel very relaxed with you guys. Okay, good. Really, you know, you're not. You're, I feel like you want to get the best out of me. There's no, there's no catch, you know. Yeah. So that's what makes me feel good. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. It means a lot coming from someone who's so thoughtful. Thank you very much. You know, MMA community is very harsh, so it's, you guys are great. Thank you. Perfect. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Tim, do you have anything else you want to follow up with? No, I I found it amazing. Um, interesting thing that twigged for me is with business, 
you have this built-in deadline and so you can see your status as you, or your accumulation as you go this month's better than the last and when you come to december if that's your year end and then you have that deadline built in and i never thought about that in comparison to the new year's resolution with no deadline and so yeah, i mean i think that that's the point i feel like it's the opposite who cares about when you start right what, what's the when are we going to make it let's make it you know That's a good point yeah thank you sir yeah Guys, have a great day. And if ever you want to do something else, maybe you want to have a fight or whatever, you let me know. I'm all yours. A fight? <laughs> With you? No, I mean, if before one of my fights. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, I that sounds he, great. Yeah, I no, thought he just challenged he... you to a fight. <laughs> I'm like, thinking you're... Aaron, after the 72 hour fast, before your first meal, we're fighting. I want to get you nice and weak. <laughs> I, I was thinking it's a, it's a good thing you're on opposite ends of the country if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> I'll move up to the Yukon to stay safe. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys, sounds enjoy. Good. Sounds good. Thank you. See you. Thank you, guys. Bye. That was really, really good. That was fantastic. Yeah. I was thinking, boy, he's already interviewed him. I wonder what they'll talk about. But it was it was just amazing, just the way you kind of kicked it off from where you left off and then really dug into fitness, nutrition, and this whole deep dive into fasting was fascinating. I learned a lot, and it's just motivating when you know somebody else has done it. And I kind of do it, and he's obviously doing it way better. So motivation for the new year, you know? Cool, for sure. What's your plan? What are your resolutions? What are your deadlines? Well, now I realize I don't need resolutions. <laughs> That's just my takeaway. Uh, from a personal aspect, I COVID did a number on me. I used to work out regularly and then got away from it. And I, I used to walk a ton. And so I want to get back to that. Which you have a shower you... in the building, if I'm not mistaken, for all your workouts, right? Exactly. And how often does that thing get used? Not very often lately. Wow. So that actually allowed me to... Um, I've read, in air quotes, more than 400 audiobooks because I did that while walking. And so I now have a whole bunch of uh, credits on Audible and haven't been uh, digging into that as much. So I'm going to get back to that. Yeah, it seems like a great idea. Where, where do you walk? In the area or long distances to work? Um, typically like a 5k walk around. I live off of the, the river on uh, near Keith Wilson. So need to get back to that. There you go. Well, I'll check in with you and we'll, we'll find out how that walking's going in the new year. Sounds good. Remember to like, subscribe, comment, do all the things, send it to your friend. They need to know about this. Yeah, this is a definite must-listen episode. Must yeah. much, much listen, must, uh, however you consume, bigger than me. Let's go. Let's go.